Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, I get to talk with Chris Connors. And Chris does a lot of chainsaw carving, but he also works with other mediums as well. So I'd call him an all-around sculptor. Um, Chris was originally from Wisconsin, and I believe right now he's in Virginia. But we'll go ahead and ask him when we bring him on. All right. Hi, Chris. Hi. So, uh, Chris, can you go ahead and tell us what's your carving like business name or whatever online? So the name of the business is Custom Sculpture and Sign Company. Um, it used to be called Custom Wood Carvings and more. Um, and then I, so I just, I changed it over to, to that new name. Because um, I do more than wood carvings now, so I needed a new name. Sure. So is that, like, if people wanted to find you on Facebook or website or Instagram, or is that what they would look up? Yes, yeah, so the website is customwoodcarvings.com. Okay. Um, and then I have another website that leads to that one. That's called sculpture-signs.com. But they both lead to the same site. Okay. And Chris Connors uh, is how you'd find me on Facebook, I think. K-R-I-S, Connors. Cool. So, yeah, just in case people want to go check out your work. Um, So, first question, what's your story? How did you get started as a sculptor? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say it's 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 such an honor to be uh, interviewed uh, in this list of amazing carvers. I feel honored to be among the list, so I, I, I'm humbled that you asked me. Thank you. Cool. Good. Thanks um, for being on. Absolutely. And I love what you're doing. The, you know, years ago, I had searched for a podcast on chainsaw carving. And I never found one. So um, I was so excited to find out about this one. Um, and you're doing such a great job. It is so fun. I've been listening to the interviews. Uh, and you've got 30 on there, it looked like. And uh, they're just, I'm having a blast listening to them. I'm learning a lot. And uh, so thank you for for taking the time to do this. It's It's a wonderful resource for our community. Good. I'm so glad. Um, so my story starts, um, I'd always, as a kid, I'd, I was always interested in uh, the visual arts. Um, I enjoyed drawing as a kid um, and was always interested in doing something creative. I was, I was always doing something. Um, And uh, I did end up going to school, um, to college for art education. Um, So like you, I was uh, was an art teacher uh, at the local high school for 12 years. Oh, wow. Cool. And um, so, but while I was teaching, I, I enjoyed doing stuff on the side. I'd be painting or uh, doing something creative, but I always had an interest like in, in college, they didn't have a sculpture department. We, we took some sculpture classes, but like I wanted to learn how to weld, you know, I wanted to do like metal sculpture or something like that. Right. So I only had, opportunity to do clay sculpture which was still great and some uh i don't know maybe some wood i can't remember some of the materials like uh plaster i think we did some plaster stuff but nothing large scale like i wanted to i always had an interest in large scale sculpture and so um, i didn't know how to do bronze i didn't know how to weld so i just kind of put that on the back burner until one summer, um, I have a large family. My wife and I have six kids, and we like uh, 
you know, we'll go do fairs and stuff like that in the summertime. So we went to this one agricultural fair. Uh, we lived in Connecticut at the time. And when I was at the fair, I saw this chainsaw carver. And it was the first, first time I'd ever seen anybody do it. So this was like around 2003, maybe. And okay. I, um, the name of his carving business was Shack Out Back. And he carved uh, lots of bears and eagles. And he, had a, he totally had a, a really neat style. Um, but I was fascinated. As soon as I saw that, I thought, that's it. That's how I could do large-scale sculpture. All I need is a chainsaw. I can get wood anywhere. That, that's exactly how, how I can do it. Um, so he really inspired me. And, uh, and I saw him at other fairs that summer. And so I got to know him. I, I'm sure he, I probably bothered him with a ton of questions. <laughs> but after I saw that, I started going online. I started to try to and research and try to find as much as I could on the subject. And back then, um, there was the yellow forum, the carving post forum. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever go on there? I was on there for a year or two when I first started and then it kind of started to go away. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I got on there around like 2004 and I had, uh, like one book on chainsaw carving and that's pretty much it. But the, the yellow forum was such an education. It was such a wonderful resource of inspiration. And I remember um, as I was researching and looking it up, I remember seeing Bob King's stuff and it just blew my mind what he was doing. Uh, I was like that, you know, it just inspired me. I I have to try this. So for my birthday that year, I bought myself a, a little echo saw with a carving set up on it. And I just started doing it for fun. And, um, and then, and then pretty soon people started asking me, Hey, can you make this? Can you make that? And I realized, wow, people will actually pay money for this. <laughs> and, uh, right. and then, you know, of course, I started asking around and making friends with tree service people, just telling them, hey, I'm, I'm a chainsaw carver and I'm looking for white pine logs. And then one day, um, one of those guys called. He said, hey, Chris, I'm taking down a huge ash tree right downtown. And the guys, I told him about you and the, the guy's interested in having you do a carving. So, I, I of course, I ran down there. And uh, I ended up doing my first commission on site there. And I thought, well, okay, this is my chance to really prove to myself what I can do. Um, So it ended up being a nine foot tall family of eagles. Um, And of course it took forever because I was so new (laughs) and, I had just went out and got my Apulon saw <laughs> to, <laughs> to to block things out and my brand new chaps and and even at one point it, I was so new my saw just stopped working all of a sudden and I called the I remember calling the, the local chainsaw place said hey my saw's not working <laughs> and they said, well, did you check the e-brake on it? And I was like, what's, what's that? <laughs> yep. I had no idea. Of course, that was it. I had accidentally <laughs> hit the e-brake on it. Right. Uh, so anyways, that kind of got the ball. After that, that um, commission, that really got the ball rolling. And from then on, I was always doing carvings on the side while I was teaching. And then, um, and then in the summers when they had, when 
I didn't have to teach. I, uh, I just started doing carving full time in the summers. And then in 2012, um, I was feeling to get out of teaching and, um, I decided to go full time with carving at that point and I haven't looked back. Cool. That's a, that's a great story. Um, when you mentioned to the, the yellow forum, the other thing that I thought about saying was just, um, how cool it was, you know, early on before social media to be able to comment to like some of the legends and they would like talk to you. <laughs> yes. And just to be able to have access to such incredible artists was amazing. It was. I remember um, Randy Boney would would post some of these eagles that he did, and it just blew me away what he did. And I thought, oh, I had to build up the courage to to email him back and and ask him, hey, how did what kind of bits did you use on that? And I thought, oh, he he probably won't even respond. And he responded right away and said, oh, well, I used a V-bit. And, and he, you know, he was just so open and shared with me. I was, uh, and I remember that. I always remembered that about him, that he was so generous with his information. And, and so many people on there were, you know, he wasn't the only one. But it, it really was a college for me in those beginning years. I I was on there all the time, posting and asking so many questions, and uh, I learned so much. I ordered I ordered that book off of there. Did you ever get that book that you could order? And what it was was all the all the posts, like all these common questions and answers that somebody put together into a book. I don't think so. I don't, I never did. Yeah, it was a it was a great resource. But yeah, I uh, and and just seeing from carvers from all over the world what they were posting on there was just so. It was those are some neat. Uh, I'll never forget those times. They were, they were pretty special. Yeah, it was. It's pretty incredible. Okay, so I I saw that you've done some really large scale projects like for zoos and libraries and stuff like that. Do you have any tips for getting projects like that and or for completing projects that are such like high profile and very public? Yes. So um, that's a great question. I, I'm not, I, I want to go like a few different places to answer this. So one way I'll talk about is the um, in 2004, when I really kind of just started carving, I was really bad at first. And, but I knew I had to get a presence online as soon as possible. So I put up a website immediately. Um, and, um, I do all my website work myself so that I had an advantage there that I could have total control over how the site looked and everything mm-hmm. um so but i remember my gallery was like two pieces you know two pictures because <laughs> i had just started and they were like very crude looking carvings at the time but um i believe that one reason why my website gets so much traffic now is because i had started it so early so it had a chance to gain uh, a track record on Google. Um, and so um, I feel like that having that exposure online, because um, when, when those corporations or those larger, bigger budget companies Google Chainsaw Carver or Carving or something like that, um, they'll find, they find my site. Um, so that, so, okay. Now I'll, I'll talk about another aspect of that. Okay. As I've been listening to the, the interviews with these carvers, um, I'm, I'm realizing there's this whole world of chainsaw carving 
that I have no idea, <laughs> I have no experience with. It's the whole the whole competition side of chainsaw carving. I really don't mm-hmm. know anything about it. I'm listening to these interviews going, wow, I don't, it is like a foreign world to me. My whole model uh, for my business has been custom sculpture. Um, I've never been in a competition. Um, I did go to Ridgeway Rendezvous um, maybe two or three times, and that was amazing. I, I, I learned so much on those. But in terms of like carving um, events like that, that's the only thing I've ever been to and uh in the in 17 years <laughs> of okay. doing this so um the the way my business model is set up is all i'm, I'm all custom orders i don't do any inventory pieces it's all it's all i just go from one order to the next okay um some of those are studio pieces some of those are on-site stump carvings. Um, and um, so to get back to your question about how do you get these higher profile ones, um, having that online presence is what has worked for me. Um, my website generates a lot of traffic and and that's I don't know how they find me <laughs> mm-hmm. except they, they find me they do Google searches and they just find my website and that's that's how they find me um, I hope that does that answer your question <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's good I well and I've talked um, I've talked to people before about like Google and algorithms, and I don't understand it all, but there are games you can play with Google to get to the top of the search. <laughs> yeah. But I don't Well, I believe, that. yeah. So I could, uh, I'll share my experience with what I think uh, is working for, for my site, and that is I don't pay for any advertising. Um. I don't, I don't get any, I don't use Facebook um, in terms of like the Facebook marketplace or other, I don't, I, I may have got maybe one job off of Facebook um, and I'm not sure why that is, <laughs> but uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't generate work for me for some reason, but um, and same thing with Instagram. I, I just use Instagram and Facebook just to for exposure, pretty much. But my um, the the thing that we're on, on my website, I have a blog, and so every job that I do, I post it on my blog. And the beauty of a blog is you are able to put. Um, tag words attached to each blog. So, and I believe the tag words are, are very important to get uh, for Google to find you. I, I, I view the tag words as fishing bait for Google to find. So every tag word you put out there is like throwing out a new line. So, of course, the more lines you have out, the the better chance of of catching something. Um, in turn, and that means Google catching you. You know, you catching Google. <laughs> right. Uh, so, I have hundreds of blog posts on my website, and each blog post has many tag words on it, which are the tag words are the search words that that um, Google finds. So I have that going, and then I started a YouTube channel uh, very early on as well and just started sharing videos of how-to videos, just different kinds of carving videos. Um, And that 
too is just easy free advertising um so with the youtube channel and the website and blog i believe those things because with each youtube video you put up same thing you put your tag words on there too so i feel like the more tag words you have the better chance google's gonna find you out there and and that's what's worked for me um i do get uh lots of i mean every day i'm getting inquiries from people all over the country wanting orders and i don't know if that's normal or or not but that that's been my experience. Good, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so did I see that you make bear claws for your wooden chain, like your wooden chainsaw carved bears, but out of epoxy clay? Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I think uh, in the Ryan Villiers interview, I think he mentioned starting to use taxidermy in his carvings. So I've been doing the same thing. I've been experimenting with that. So I've, I've used uh, taxidermy eyes, uh, grizzly bear eyes and put those in. And then I use epoxy clay to uh, sculpt around the eye, you know, to do the eyelid and everything. So it looks believable. Sure. It's not like, yeah. <laughs> right. And then also, um, I've tried using taxidermy mouths. Um, Ryan said he was, was going to try it. Um, and I, I've actually done it. So Ryan, if you, if you listen to this, you can call me if you want and I'll tell you about it, but, um, you can order these, uh, plastic inserts that look extremely believable. Um, and same thing, I just use epoxy clay to uh, put around where the gums are so it, it looks uh, very believable. And then you can spray paint back back deep into the mouth to blend the, uh, so it looks dark and shadowy, you know. Um, and that's worked okay. really well. And then with the claws, I've used ones that I've bought but I've also made them as well. Um, so same thing, just using epoxy clay um, and then painting them. It goes a lot faster just to, just to buy the claws. And like with the claws, same thing, I use epoxy clay to attach the plastic claw to it. Okay, that's it. so does epoxy clay adhere to wood? It does. I, you know, I score it up a little bit, you know, so it has a little bit of bite to it. Yeah. But, um, you know, with a freeze and thaw cycle, or just as the wood moves, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard from the customer that it fell off or anything. Sure. <laughs> uh, so that must mean it's, it's doing all right. Okay. And I'm trying to think like, Cause my next question, I was going to ask you about the, the taxidermy inserts, like for the bear's mouth, how in the world do you figure out how to fit it? You know what I mean? Like to get it the right size right. and get it like, that just seems crazy hard to me. Yeah. So, um, when I ordered it, cause I was concerned, right. This was going to be an eight foot or nine foot tall grizzly bear. Yeah. So I didn't want to, my fear was that I would order a mouth that was too small for the bear head or too big, you know, that just didn't match the size of the head that I was carving. That was my concern. So I called the taxidermy place and just asked them, listen, I'm doing a, a life-size grizzly. I need a life-size mouth. Um, so they, I just... I just bought the one they recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just, I measured the width of the, the insert and just made sure I, I stuck with that measurement when I cut the hole in, in, into the face. 
Um, and then it, it was a trial and error. You know, you, you, you cut it out and then put the insert in and then, oh, nope, I got to shave off a little here, shave off a little there until it finally until it finally fit in good. Sure. And then what do you adhere that insert to the wood with? Is it the epoxy clay or something? Epoxy else? clay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. I've just, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen that done before. I saw your bear. So I was like, that, that's a cool idea. That's, that's totally different. Um, let's see. Okay. I saw that in addition to carving wood, you also work with, and I've got a list here, like foam, clay, metal, bronze, resin molds, and even concrete. Um, what are the, what are the benefits to working in different mediums? Right. So, uh, I love wood carving. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to learn how to make sculpture in some weatherproof materials. Uh, oh, cause mm-hmm. I wanted to, because when you're dealing with these high end customers, um, they, many times they'll ask, you know, they're concerned about, oh, well, how is this going to, how's the wood going to keep up in the weather? And what about cracks and all that stuff? Um, like we all, we all deal with. And so I wanted to be able to offer them another option of something that's weatherproof and that will never crack. Um, and that will always look the way I made it. Um, so I started to experiment with some other forms. So one of those was chainsaw carving foam. Um, so I found a manufacturer that creates uh, these four by four by eight foot blocks of foam eps foam it's called um eps foam is that white foam that packing materials made out of and you can get it in different densities so what you get in your packages is a one pound density um what i order is three pound density so it's 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 denser. Uh, it's 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 better for carving. You know, it, it's got a denser. I've experimented with foam, and and what I do with that is I I will use hot wires on it, um, which is basically a big bow, aluminum bow, uh, with a hot wire that just goes through the foam. You can buy them. I like I have a four foot bow. Um, and, um, you just plug it in and I cut out my profiles with that, with the hot wire. And then I moved to a chainsaw, a battery chainsaw to carve the rest of the foam up. And I, I use the same tools. I use an angle grinder with a sanding disc, um, to do texture. I use Dremels. Um, it's, I use, uh, die grinders. I use all the same tools um, except I use with the foam, which is nice is you can use hand tools to like hand files, hand rasps. Um, they work really nice with the, with the foam. Um, and then when the foam's done, I use an epoxy, uh, that's made for foam that I get from a company called smooth on they're out of Pennsylvania. And, um, the, the name of the product I use is called Epsilon pro. It's a, it's an epoxy for foam. And, um, you just, if there's no smell to it, it's a, you mix a and B together and just brush it on and it creates a hard coat over your foam and then you can paint it from there. Um, you can add fiberglass to it if you want to strengthen certain areas. And then uh, you have a, a weatherproof uh, chainsaw sculpture that will never crack. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. The other product that I experimented with is a vertical concrete, it's called. Um, Smooth On makes this too. Um, they have a company called, oh boy, Buddy, Buddy Roads. Buddy Roads Concrete. That Roads is R H O D E S, Roads. Um, but they have a they have different mixes you can use for sculpture and there's a mix that's called vertical mix and um, you can make any kind of armature. So like if on my website, you'll see some whales tails that I welded a frame and put wire mesh around the frame and then put about a half inch thick of concrete uh, to it and then stained it uh, with concrete stain. And there again, there, you know, no chainsaw involved with that, but, um, but then there again, there's a, a weatherproof um, sculpture that will never crack. (laughs) So yes, I've been, I'm still experimenting. I'm still, learning about these alternative um, sculpture materials. Um, Some people ask, you know, what's my favorite? I, I love wood carving because it, out of all those wood carving is still the fastest. Um, Interesting. Yeah. You would think foam would be faster, but it's not the, the carving of the foam is faster but the finishing of the foam is two or three times longer because you have to sand it and sand it and sand, put a f- epoxy coat and sand it and put an epoxy coat and sand it, you know, um, where with wood, you just sand it once and you're done. <laughs> sure. So I, that's what I love about wood carving is it's, it is very fast. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay. So I saw just along those lines that you applied a bronze finish to a foam piece. Have you ever done any kind of, I guess I'll call it any kind of faux finishes like that on wood, like to make it look like bronze or anything? That's a great question. Let me think back here. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, when it comes to wood, I love the wood grain so much that I, I really don't like to cover it up with paint mm-hmm. unless the customer, you know, requests that, which, which sometimes they do. Um, but I've never had a customer request, um, bronze, you know, a lot of times what I'll tell the customers is if you're if you're going to paint the wood and just hide the fact that it's made out of wood, then why don't we just do it out of resin? Um, since it doesn't matter that it's made out of wood because you're you're covering it up. So let's just do it out of a weatherproof material then. And then you won't have the headache of, of maintaining the wood then. Sorry, what's the process like with resin? So when I say resin, that's what I mean with that is the, that's the foam and the epoxy. It's an epoxy resin that goes over it. Oh, sure. Gotcha. So that, that's what I mean by that. Um, but I have done, uh, bronze finishes on, uh, the foam as well as clay, um, like water-based clay that you fire in a kiln. Um, that works really good. Um, and a technique I've done for that is I've done portraits in clay that you you have to hollow out um, so that the the wall of the sculpture is three quarters thick at the most. Um, <clears throat> and so once it's fired, then I'll paint it with an acrylic paint. Uh, like a dark brown acrylic paint, and then I'll use that rub and buff wax 
metallic wax. Have you ever used that? I don't think so, no. You can get it from craft stores like uh, Hobby Lobby or, or wherever. Um, it's called Rub and Buff. It's a little tube of metallic wax, and they make different types of bronze metallic waxes, and um, you just dab a little on your finger and just barely rub it on the surface of the of the clay, the fired clay, and it it'll end up looking just like bronze. It's it's pretty neat. Huh, that's but cool. it with yeah with any of these things, I'm I I love to share what what I'm learning and so if anybody's interested in learning about these these things that I'm learning about um please email or give me a call I'd be happy to share with you I love that because I I mean I've experienced that too like you said with other carvers are so willing to help you out or give you tips and it, it just builds up the whole community and everybody just keeps getting better as we learn from each other. Absolutely. The, uh, that's been with the, your interviews that you're doing it. It's been so neat to hear everyone's different story and different tools and different advice and tips that people are sharing. It's, it's wonderful that, and I'm, that's what I loved about the rendezvous in Ridgeway was just, the whole um, atmosphere there was not a competitive one, but one that was just so uh, open and sharing and everyone was there to learn. And, and, uh, and it was pretty neat. Yes. And I, I know I've said this before, but the rendezvous, um, their like seminars that they did on YouTube actually kind of inspired me to do this podcast. Cause I, had watched all of them and I wanted there to be more and, and just that same, that same spirit of sharing and learning from each other. Totally love it. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's something that, um, I've found with almost all the carvers that I've talked to, you know, they've, they've been so, um, that's been a consistent thing I've run into with, with so many of them there. They're so willing to share. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, so I saw that you do timber frame building. Yes. Do you think that influences your sculptures at all or helps you in any way? Well, right. Um, I think uh, any time you work with wood, you're always learning something about it. And so in that way, I... I think it uh, helps me in uh, in wood carving, just just with wood grain and um, and using a sawmill. So, like we, my son and I are are building our house for our family, and so we ordered eighty poplar logs from a local logger here, and then. Uh, my son and I and some of my close friends helped mill all those logs up into timbers. And then my son and I did all this timber frame um, joinery on it to, to build our house. So really it was our first time doing this. It's, I, I just, we just jumped right into it and gave it a try. I started with my carving barn. Um, which I've never had. I've been carving out of a tent for, you know, for <laughs> 16 years. And, uh, I'm finally, I finally have a, a permanent structure to, to carve in. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, I designed it with a, an I-beam up on the top that extends out and uh, runs across the whole barn and I've got an electric chain hoist on there so I can finally lift my logs up uh, without doing something stupid. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so that's been amazing having that. Uh, 
And so we did that as a timber frame. We used six by sixes um, that we milled. And um, that was kind of our practice barn first. And then we did the house. So the timber frame went up the summer and uh, it was amazing. We had uh, friends come. Uh, we're a part of a, a Christian community here. So the whole community got together and, um, and helped raise our barn. And then I even had friends come from Wisconsin and Texas uh, to come help too. So it was a really special time of fellowship and, uh, and putting up this house. So we're still working on it. We, we've got the walls up and just finished putting the windows in. So, uh, we're getting ready to do the stucco, uh, is the next big thing. That's really cool. I'm so excited that you have that permanent place to carve. Now I can relate cause I'm still in the tent. So that's, yes. that's exciting. Yes. And I remember, um, when I went full-time in 2012, I started carving behind our house. And, um, you know, I lived in a residential neighborhood. Um, and pretty soon, you know, I did it, I don't know, for about a year. And then one day my neighbor came over and he was furious. And we're friends, you know. But I could see in his eyes, he was about to explode. And he was he was trying so hard to hold back his anger. And he was like, Chris, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I said, I know. Okay, okay, okay. I, I totally get it. I understand. All right. It's time for me to find a, a shop somewhere. Um, so I did, I ended up finding some spot to, then I started renting space for the first time out in kind of an industrial area. So, um, and that's what I did until, until I built this place. Sure. I would say too, I, I didn't have this advice before, but for, for newer carvers, if they're living somewhere like that with neighbors, I would definitely invest in battery saws just because yes. they're not as loud and maybe you can get away with it for longer. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the, what I found with battery saws, I use a steel battery saw. Okay. And, um, and by the way, if, if, um, do what do you use for battery saws? I have steels. Okay. Have you tried using the belt, the battery belt? I have not, no. Have you heard of it? I think I've seen somebody that had it, but I can't remember who. Yeah, so Steel makes a battery belt for that saw. And it's it's just this uh this comfortable belt with a pouch on the back, and so you put your battery in that pouch and then there's this cord that goes to the saw. So it takes off about five pounds off the saw. So if you're running that battery oh, saw for six for hours a day or whatever, um, it's crazy light. It's super light. So I encourage anybody who's running a steel battery saw to, to use that belt. It's If you do long hours of the battery saw, it's, it's well worth it. Cool. That's good advice. And that actually goes to, I was going to ask you, do you have any tool advice or tips when like for carving wood? Yeah, so um, I I don't use I use my battery saw for all my indoor carvings, like in the winter time, or uh, for any of the foam carvings. I use the battery saw for that. But um, uh, another tip before I forget that is. If anybody wants to try carving foam, you got to do it in an enclosed room because the white, the, the foam beads get all over the place. So you have to be in a place that will contain it. Um, um, and then it's easy to clean up. Okay. But back, back to your other question there. The, uh, <clears throat> so for, for my tools, I just use a large, I use a large bar 
which which is like a 28 inch bar and then i have a medium sized bar which would be like i don't know uh 20 inch what i just say 28 inch yeah 28 inch and then a 20 inch and then i go to a 14 inch quarter tip which is is my main carving bar and okay. then uh, i use a dime tip 12 inch dime tip for doing some detail work but my main one is a 14 inch quarter that's my favorite bar <clears throat> um and i use an angle grinder a lot um and i use a die grinder a little bit um i use an arbor tech mini grinder um a little bit just for doing texture on bare faces <clears throat> um like around their eyebrow like their forehead i'll use the arbor tech mini grinder for for the texture there and then i move to a saw um and then i just got a man paw tool have you tried those yet no it's on my list though of things to get soon yeah so i picked up a man paw it was like a combo kit um it had two three inch discs on there one was like a like a well, how do how you describe it? It's like a chisel point on it. And then the other one's more like a rounded, um, almost like a, I have a, it's just a round bit on it. <clears throat> um, okay. so it has a curve, it has a curve to the cut when you, when you cut it in. So anyways, I just attached that. It. it was just the, um, just the part you just, it was like 250 bucks or something like that. Um, which I was happy about because when I first looked into the man paws, they it looked like they were like five or six hundred, and I was like, "Oh, that's I don't want to spend that much right now." But I, I found this this kit for two hundred fifty. Oh, I can do that because uh, I had an extra angle grinder to put it on. I had like some cheap uh, Porter cable angle grinder that I threw it on, and I thought, let me give it a try, and I love it. It's got a ton of torque. It just hogs out the wood super fast with a lot of control. Um, I really like it a lot. So I've been using that. Um, I've been finding a use for that and lots of different things for when you got to hog out and do big contours, concaves of things. Like, for example, I just had to, I just carved one of those lazy bears that hangs over a branch with all its legs hanging down yeah so it had to fit the contour of the branch that it was hanging on mm -hmm. so that tool worked perfect for doing that type of stuff <clears throat> and any kind of like watery you know anything that you would use one of those uh i don't have one of those uh power gouges Am okay. I saying that right? A power gouge? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I've never, you know, when, when Paul Wachlow and I did that giant Kodiak bear together, I was pretty excited to work with Paul because he has lots of tools that I don't have. <laughs> yeah. So I got to try out, he has, you know, two of those power gouges, a big one and a small one. And he had, he had a few different tools I had been wanting to try. Um, so I got a chance to use those. But it does, the little man paw thing does just what those power gouges do without the weight. Sure. So I, I really like it. Um, and then I use the saber tooth bits. You know, my favorite three bits are the, the teardrop, the, uh, I guess I call it the needle tool. It's like the long, narrow one. And then um, the ball. Uh -huh. Those are my three main uh, carving bits that I use pr pretty much everything. Okay. And the other thing I could share is the uh, my favorite Dremel bit 
is it's a slotted barrel. I don't know what the right I don't know what their name for it is, but it's it's a cylinder that has vertical slots going around the walls of the cylinder. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have one of those? Uh, are, so they're straight up and down. They're not like twisted. Yeah, they're straight up and down on on the cylinder walls. I don't think I have one, but I've seen them. Um, so I use that for any time I need a crisp line, like in the lips or on the claws or um, um, for eyeballs. That is my eyeball bit. I carve all my eyeballs with that because um, you can rotate it around and create a sphere with it, a half sphere and get those eyelid wrinkles and all that. It's a fantastic uh, bit for doing all that. Cool. <clears throat> and other than that, I don't, I don't think I, I don't really use anything else. That's, that's um, the, the, I could mention something about, I, the one thing I don't like about the battery saw and, and let me know if you've experienced this, but, the, the steel battery saw does not have anti-vibration on it. At least the one I have doesn't. Does yours? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't know if I've ever even checked. Yeah, mine does not. Um, I've had mine for years. That's why I'm asking. Uh, you might have a newer one than mine. But <clears throat> um, if I go for a long time with my battery saw, I can feel it in my wrists. Um, and actually one time I did this carving, it was super intense carving. It was four weeks on one piece every day, long hours. It was a giant maple stump in the middle of winter in Connecticut, uh, just freezing. I had a scaffolding set up around it with plastic around it with a, propane heater inside to try to thaw myself out it was miserable but because i was inside that plastic the whole time i used my battery saw and during that carving my wrists just started they were so painful i'd never had that happen before and i didn't know what what is going on and I found out it was because of there's no anti-vibration on it. And uh, so I think it was that and I think it was the cold, the combination of, of both of those. Um, but once so I have to uh, use the battery saw with moderation because of that. Well, yeah. Have you ever had that happen? You know, I don't I don't think I use the battery saws as much as you do. Like I do use them in the winter, but. In the winter, I'm teaching, so I only go carve for maybe an hour or two at a time. But uh, now that you've said that, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna check, and maybe when I do like the closing remarks, I'll I'll let you know if I, if it has it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me know. Um, that's the only thing I don't like about it. I and I've requested. Um, I had the the fortunate. Um, experience of when I lived in Connecticut, um, the I had a relationship with steel, the steel reps there. Um, they they really were very mm-hmm. supportive of me. I would do shows for steel, and they would uh, give me saws and stuff like that. So, um, I would I was able to sh- give them feedback you know, on their equipment. And I, I asked them, please <laughs> put some anti-vibration on your battery saws. And I, I don't know if any of the newer ones have it or not. I'll What's interesting in about that actually is uh, <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jeff Samadusky. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he, he used to live in Connecticut and in fact, when I was, remember that guy I was telling you about at the fair? Yeah. Well, 
when I, I went and visited him once, and he goes, you got to visit this guy, Jeff. He's He lives just north of me. And so by the time I got around to wanting to visit Jeff, he had moved out west. I missed him. <laughs> but he had that relationship with he had the relationship with Steel first. So when when Jeff left, they were looking for another chainsaw carver, and uh, and somehow they found me. So I I got to follow in Jeff's footsteps there. Oh, cool. Okay, and then I was going to ask you, do, is there any other advice that you have for other carvers that I didn't that we didn't talk about? Yeah. Um, I would say um, safety is important. Um, when it, well on that yellow forum, I remember reading about these carvers who were like, "Oh, my elbows hurt and my wrists hurt," and they were talking about how much pain they were in, <laughs> and I was uh, that, of course, concerned me. So um, I have always carved with bicycle gloves the padded bicycle gloves the fingerless ones and i do not have any except for that one time you know with the batteries saw my wrists hurt but but i've never had any joint issues in my elbows or arms or wrists um and i really believe the the padded gloves um are a big reason why so I would encourage encourage people to to try that if you've never tried that. Um, if you are, you know, I could talk about um, business, the business side of carving a little bit. Okay. Um, I know some people have a, a model of, um, you know, production pieces. Um, inventory pieces, just kicking out as many small uh, carvings that you can. Um, and um, I know that works for lots of people. And if, um, but what's, and I, I used to do that. And one time I, I went to a rendezvous where um, Jeff Moore was speaking. Okay. And he he was showing his pictures of those fighting deer and and some other ones, but I came away that and that was my first time learning about Jeff and, and what he was doing and I saw the the high end quality that he was doing and and he put it out there too, I think in that talk. He said, "You know, I could do, I could spend a month working and do 20 carvings, try to fit 20 carvings in that month. Or I could spend the whole month working on one big carving. Um, and, you know, that really struck a chord with me. I thought, you know, I, I like that approach. I would rather do one big carving than a ton of other carvings in a month. And so after I left that rendezvous, I decided, you know, I'm going to put in the extra effort on all of my carvings now. I'm, I'm going to go the extra mile on all my carvings so that it raises the perceived value of my gallery online. Um, and I'm going to take off any piece that looks, that doesn't look high end. And so that year, you know, I may have only getting, I, I didn't get paid, let's say for a high end piece, but I gave them a high end piece. I went the extra mile and I was at the point skill level wise where I could do a high level piece and not suffer uh, monetarily because it took me so long, like skill level wise, I could do it fast now. Um, okay. So that's what I did, and 
it worked. The, the whole, uh, my whole gallery, I, I boosted it up. All of my work look, looked high end, um, now. And so I started getting bigger projects. So that kind of goes back to your question about, you know, zoos and hospitals and things like that. <clears throat> and then honestly, uh, I don't know. I think we all kind of struggle with that of, of undercharging. Um, and so Paul Wacklow and I became friends and, uh, and we would share prices with each other and bounce prices. And, and I, I heard of the, you know, he was getting really high end jobs, high end clients. And it inspired me. I thought, well, if, uh, if Paul's entering into that market, maybe I can too, you know? And, and so he would, we would talk and Paul would say, Chris, what'd you charge for that? <laughs> you know, and I'd tell him and he'd go, Chris, he'd get mad at me. You know, Chris, you could have got three times that, you know? And so I, I started to listen to Paul and, uh, and started to follow his advice. And I started bumping up my prices and, you know, one thing that helped me that he said, and, and maybe that'll help some others too, <clears throat> is, he, is he said, Chris, you can't, you can't um, price your carvings within the frame set of your frame, um, <clears throat> your frame of mind. You, you have to price it according to the customer's frame of mind. You know, and he said, you know, for you to spend 500 bucks is a lot. It's the same thing as them spending 5,000. You know, it's, it really is the same thing. And you, you got to break out of your frame of mind of what you would pay for something. <clears throat> and uh, that really helped me out. And I started to do that. And it really paid off because now, I'm at that place now where I can, I can just do one sculpture for the whole month. And, and I'm a single income. I have six children and God is providing through that. Um, instead of like hustling and hustling and hustling the whole month, trying to bang out all these smaller jobs. Um, that's been a real, wonderful thing to just let the smaller jobs go and wait for those bigger ones to come. And so far they have. And so I would encourage people, if you haven't tried that, um, try it. It's wonderful. <laughs> so another experiment that I've done is using a wood kiln. And so after I finish a carving, I will... Uh, depending on what it is, if it's a, a high-end carving, I will put it into a wood kiln. And I'll leave it in there for about a week. Uh, it seems like is is all it takes. Um, and it removes quite a bit of the moisture and pre-cracks the carving. So when I take it out of it, um, it, it basically pre-seasons the wood so it cracks before I give it to the customer um, and I'm not sitting around waiting so uh, then I fix the cracks and 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 give it to the customer so um, all it is is basically a box made out of two by six lumber you know studded walls with two by six and then it's got uh, insulation in there two by six uh, bat insulation and so it's all it's all it's an insulated box and then I have a fan in there a box fan and a dehumidifier those are the two things the dehumidifier creates its own heat in there and gets it to about a hundred degrees and that's that's all it is it's very simple um, and so I thought people might be interested in that. It's a way to uh, 
give you a peace of mind that when you give a, uh, if you're doing a, a log carving um, that has not been kiln dried, uh, you can kiln dry it yourself. And it just gives you and the customer a peace of mind. This has been great talking with you, Chris. I've been watching your stuff online, which is usually the case, right? But it's cool just to be able to actually talk to you and hear about all the cool things that you're doing. So thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for for interviewing me. And uh, anybody who's, again, interested and wants to get in touch, please get in touch. I'd be happy to, to meet you. And if, if anyone's coming through, uh, I'm in southwest Virginia, so <clears throat> overnight near Abingdon, Virginia. If anyone's coming through the area, please stop by. I'd love to meet you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure to go and check out the other episodes. And then if you would, like it, share it, um, rate it so that other chainsaw carvers can find the podcast and hopefully it'll help them as well.